you'd turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be looking at one of eight principles by which Jesus says we can do exactly what we have been singing about. Matthew chapter 5, and I want to read the whole of the Beatitudes. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Father, we look to your word because we desire to please you. We desire that our hearts would be drawn closer to you. And I pray that you would subdue under the feet of Jesus any aspects of our flesh that hinder us from uh, drawing close to you so that you can draw close to us. We know, Father, even this is a work of grace. We cannot achieve even these calls upon our life. And so we come to you as those who are poor, as those who mourn over the fact that our lives so many times are not uh, close uh, to you and to the blessings that uh, you love to bestow upon those who are meek. And I pray that you would uh, open our eyes, open our hearts, give to us grace to receive your word properly and to respond with worship. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. may be seated. <clears throat> One of the counseling books that I uh, peeked into this past week uh, told about a book that was written by J. Upton Dixon. It was called Cower Power, and it's a parody of wimps. And he says that he's made a little society for these wimps that are out there called doormats. And doormats is an acronym that stands for Dependent Organization of Really Meek and Timid Souls, if there are no objections. <laughs> and he says their motto ought to be, the meek shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with everybody. <laughs> and uh, I think while his poking fun is something that we would say, you know, there's a certain aspect of truth to that and, and certain segments of Christianity that are fast becoming a bunch of mild-mannered people teaching other mild-mannered people how to become more mild-mannered. But it is definitely not a proper critique of this, song, uh, this uh, beatitude here. It does not fit the context at all to interpret meekness as doormats. It doesn't fit the context of inheriting the earth. It certainly does not fit the context of the psalm that this beatitude is quoted from, Psalm 37. In that psalm, you've got meek people who are face to face with wicked tyrants, wicked soldiers, and they're not backing down. And six times in that psalm, it says, the meek shall inherit the earth. It's unfortunate, but frequently I hear the term meek used as a synonym for either timid or doormat. And when you look at the two people who are said to be the meekest people in the Bible, Moses and Jesus, you realize it cannot even remotely mean doormat. It's impossible for it to mean that. Immediately after describing Jesus as meek and riding on the foal of a donkey in the Gospel of John, 
it shows Jesus going into the temple and throwing over these tables and putting a whip together and scourging those uh, money chambers out of the out of the temple. What's with that? Well, that was meekness. Okay, and you're going to say, really, is that really meekness? And we're going to be seeing absolutely that was meekness. In fact, uh, Jesus uh, breaks all the stereotypes of meekness. Interestingly, Jesus deliberately challenged the political leaders of that time over their ungodly laws regarding the Sabbath. You see, both the both the the, the um, religious leaders and the civil leaders told him, "You can't heal on the Sabbath." So, what does Jesus do? He goes out of his way to heal on the Sabbath. He challenges those laws. So, what's with that? Well, I would say it has to be meekness because Jesus says, I am meek in Matthew 11, verse 29. And Paul admonished us to put on the meekness of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Now, it is true there are a lot of protesters today that are not meek. They're arrogant. They do not display the kind of qualities that the, the Beatitudes talk about. But when Jesus protested against the ungodliness of uh, Israel, he was doing it with a real meekness to God the Father. And whom we are meek to makes all the difference in the world. Some people have a meek response to the wrong people. And it gets them into trouble. The emergent church has some of the nicest pastors out there. And many of them would be thought to be meek. But their meekness is a toleration of what God calls intolerable. Okay? It is not mourning over lawlessness. Beatitude number two. And that means it's not meekness toward God. They may be meek toward men. But they're not meek toward God. So who you're meek to makes a big, uh, big difference. Much of American meekness flows from peer pressure. Okay, we just give in to the peer pressure that's around us. But if you start with beatitude number one, our total poverty in spirit, where are we going to look to for meekness? We're not going to look out there because they're just as poverty stricken as we are. They're bankrupt. We're going to be looking to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, I don't have meekness. I need your meekness, which means we get it from Christ and he has to define what that meekness is all about. And so what we're going to be doing today is trying to understand what does it mean uh, to be meek. The order of these Beatitudes is, is important and the context is important as well. Now, let's start by defining terms. We're just going to look at the word meek itself. What does it mean? Well, I've got a whole pile of Bible dictionaries, both on my computer and on my shelves, and I've looked up the word meek in every one of them, and they're all frustrated, saying that there really isn't one uh, English term that can communicate praus, which is the Greek term here. And I've listed under point A some of the different translations. Gentle, lowly, humble, quietness of spirit, meek, forbearing, yielding, and gracious. And those are eight nuances of that word, but the same dictionaries, if you look them up, they will say, now don't get the idea that there is any weakness involved in any of these terms. They would say it is strength in submission, strength expressed in gentleness, strength expressed in humility, strength that yields, strength that is forbearing, and strength that is gracious. So if you take strength out of it, you have misdefined meekness. It is, it is a certain kind of power under control 
that is expressed in those eight ways that we've looked at. Now, in your outline, you've got some pictures of meek horses. I think that Frisian horses are some of the most magnificent creatures under heaven. I just love to look at Frisian horses, uh, especially I love Goliath. He's the one up on the top right-hand side of your bulletins there. He was in the movie Lady Hawk. And uh, uh, every time I, I've seen that movie, I just stand in amazement. I just, I love what a splendid animal that animal is. Now, the scripture would define that animal as meek because he was totally at the disposal of his master. That's a picture of meek. Now, those horses that are on there weren't necessarily meek to strangers, okay? But they were meek to their master. They were thoroughly tamed. And that's the basic idea at the root of the Greek word praus. It means tamed. Greeks use this to describe any wild animals that have been tamed into submission. So a meek horse is a horse that's been trained at the slightest touch of the reins on its neck. It's going where the master wants it to go or at a command from the mouth or at a whistle. There's various ways that they had uh, of training them. A stallion could be incredibly dangerous, very, very powerful creature. But when it is tamed, when it is fully praus, it is going to be so gentle that even a child can ride that stallion. And so the word gentle is perfectly appropriate translation. And when the master comes along, rather than rearing up and trying to kill the master, it is going to have a quietness of spirit. So when the Bible, New King James and others, translated on occasion as quietness of spirit, perfectly appropriate. Uh, it's going to be yielded completely to the master. So yielded is an appropriate translation. The point is, both the secular Greek and the, the, the Greek in the New Testament, whenever it uses this term, praus, it is uh, indicating that it's power expressed under control in one of these eight ways that's listed in your bulletin. Now, let me read from, and before I, before I read here, let me just say, if you look at Goliath, or Tornado is one of the horses in there, Zorro's horse. If you look at those two, I think you've got a great image of what Meek is all about. It's just a perfect image. Just keep those horses in your mind. Here's how R.J. Rushduni pulls together the shades of meaning in describing the meekness of Moses. The meek are the redeemed whom God has burdened, oppressed, and broken to harness so that they are tamed and workable. God subjected Moses to a more rigorous discipline than any other believer of his day, and Moses accepted that oppression, grew in terms of it, and became disciplined and strong. Hence, Moses was the meekest man of his age. Meekness is thus not mousiness, but disciplined strength in and under God. The blessed meek are the tamed of God. Those harnessed to his law word and to his calling who shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5, 5. The blessed meek are those who submit to God's dominion, have therefore dominion over themselves, and are capable of exercising dominion over the earth. They therefore inherit the earth. Okay, so we've looked at the word meek in the middle of this beatitude. But I think just from what we've described, you can understand the last half of that beatitude, why he would say, happier are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In the Old Testament, God made it very clear. If you're a wild stallion, forget it. You're not going to inherit the earth. There's two extremes that we need to avoid. If a Christian was on the one hand wild or on the other hand 
was um, a doormat, Christianity would have been extinguished in the first century. But because Christ, uh, meekness is being tamed of God and implies, implies strength under control, it's very, very logically connected to inheriting the earth. And uh, it's very logically connected to the dominion mandate, you know, which is our responsibilities, whether it's regarding technology or science or any other aspect of life. And the Great Commission, which says, hey, we can't do the dominion mandate apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will never be able to fulfill either of those commissions, the dominion mandate or the Great Commission, if we are timid. It'll be impossible to do. So those who are bold for the Lord, like Caleb, say to impossible mountains, Lord, give me this mountain. They're the ones who are going to inherit the earth. Now, I want you to listen to God's description of a meek horse, and it's a war horse. And I think it kind of pulls together this idea of the boldness that can be present. This is from Job 39. Verses 19 through 25. So this is where God is rebuking Moses, um, Job and saying, do you understand this? Do you understand this? Do you understand about a horse? And then he describes this horse that is so meek, he is not frightened at all when a trumpet sounds or there's danger over here. Uh, he is a bold, fearless creature because he is uh, working under his master. Beginning at verse 19. Have you given the horse strength? Have you clothed his neck with thunder? Can you frighten him like a locust? His majestic snorting strikes terror. He paws in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He gallops into the clash of arms. He mocks at fear and is not frightened, nor does he turn back from the sword. The quiver rattles against him, the glittering spear and javelin. He devours the distance with fierceness and rage, nor does he come to a halt because the trumpet has sounded. At the blast of the trumpet, he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of captains and shouting. Now, if the whole church of Jesus Christ, every man, woman, and child, had the strong meekness described there, we would inherit the earth. Amen? I mean, it would make all the difference in the world. And so, here's the problem. There are people out there who have strength. They are not doormats at all, but they don't have strength for the Lord. Okay, they're not the tamed of the Lord. Uh, sometimes they're strong in stubborn insistence upon their own will. Now, there are others, they're not wild. They're tamed. They look tamed outwardly, but they're tamed by Satan to do his will. Others have been tamed by social conventions and even though the Bible's against these social conventions, they just, they just go along with them. They're meek toward those social conventions. Others are tamed by fear of what others will think. See, those are all counterfeits, and they will not lead to the happiness and the kind of fulfillment that this beatitude is talking about. It's being meek to the Lord that our strength is unleashed to claim planet Earth. And so there really is a logical order in these beatitudes. If you don't start with poverty... There's automatically going to be some counterfeits that will come in on any of these graces. So if meekness is an utter yieldedness to God, then it cannot exist apart from mourning. That's beatitude number two, mourning over our independence and our rebellion and our self-reliance. Since meekness is submission, if we started with meekness, then you could submit to the wrong thing, you know, the wrong people, right? If you started with uh, meekness instead of starting with poverty and looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, 
then you could say, okay, we've got to be gentle. And you're going to be gentle with the wrong people and gentle with the wrong things. Buddhist monks are sometimes said to be meek. Okay, but it's a kind of works righteousness. doesn't have poorness of spirits, not depending upon the Lord Jesus. And I already mentioned that the emergent church's meekness is a toleration of what God finds intolerable. Even with submission, some people submit to peer pressure and doing that, they're violating Beatitudes number one and two. You've got to take these in the right order. So we've looked at the word meek. We've looked at the last half of the Beatitude, which is inheriting the earth. Let's look at the first half of the Beatitude. I think you can see by now why it is that it's only the meek who are happy and who are fulfilled. And those who are not meek lose out on this kind of fulfillment. Just think of any wild animal that's not tamed. Uh, when they're captured and they're, they're attempting to tame these wild creatures, boy, do they fight. They resist uh, with everything that's in them. But the end result is wonderful. And I want you to flip forward to Matthew 11 and uh, verse 28, which shows the, the um, process of making an ox meek. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, and that's the word for meek, praus, I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So Jesus is meek. He's training us to be meek. And the paradox of his words here are people who don't have that yoke upon their shoulders. They're not in harness. They're out running free and carefree out into the world. They're the ones who are actually burdened and they are miserable. They're weary. And it's the people who have Christ's yoke upon them who are free. They're energized. They have rest to their souls. Now, many think that disobedience to Christ is freedom. But you know what? When you are not the tamed of God, then you end up being the torn and the bruised and the mangy and the ones with a stinky hide and flea infested and you got burrs in your fur and thorns in your feet and and uh, you're under bondage to sin. And I think we need to realize wild animals, pe people like to idealize these wild animals. They are not the healthiest creatures out there. Okay, many times their teeth fall out much earlier than the tamed ones do and they get sores and they, they have all kinds of, of troubles that afflict them. And so Christ is saying the only way to find fulfillment and rest and satisfaction in life is if you wear the yoke of meekness, being tamed of God. We've got to start with our kids very, very early. Uh, when your one-year-old starts showing defiance, you tell them to do something and you know, they move away. They don't want to do that. And you rebuke them and they start crying and pouting. If you let them get away with it, what you're doing is you're reinforcing their wild nature. In fact, you're training them to be wild instead of training them to be meek. Okay. And uh, here's what Lamentations 3 verse 21 says. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. He is saying it's good for our children to learn how to become meek to have this training very, very young. And you parents are the stewards under God responsible to do some of this training with the yoke of meekness. That's a whole lot easier to train a colt than it is to train a full-grown uh, horse. And you can start very, very young. In fact, as soon as our children were able to toddle, we started training them to, 
fetch a diaper, to go over and do this and to do the other thing, and training them to do it uh, as, as, with pleasure, uh, with delight. We were wanting them to learn this meekness early. Now, I bought a horse out in Ethiopia that was initially anything but meek. They had let him get away with all kinds of ornery habits. And the only time that you could get him to run was when he was running home to get his oats. Going away, ah, oh, it was all you could do to get him to move. You would use your whip and dig, dig in, and he just kind of puttered along. And uh, you would drag him, you know, with the, the bit because it's much more sensitive in the mouth, and he'd move quite freely then. But it was almost like he'd rather be miserable than be obedient. And that's the way I think many times uh, we, we are in our, our, Christian, uh, our Christian life. Uh, he would run like the wind when he was coming home because that's where his treasure was. You know, he loved eating oats. No problem there. And many times we Christians are like that. We obey, but we obey grudgingly. We drag our feet. It's not from the heart. And I let, never let our kids uh, get away uh, with that when they were growing up. If they're grudging, uh, you know, they do it, but they do it with uh, grudging, automatic boot camp. You know, that means an hour of training. And we just do it over and over and we keep practicing until they get it right with a good attitude and, and they move forward. Uh, you have to work with these kids uh, very, very early. I told them they would get ahead in business when they grew up if they learned to anticipate what the bosses wanted them to do. Did it even without being asked. In other words, you're looking to please. You're, you're, you're looking to go beyond and, and go the extra mile. By the way, if you guys don't have that little booklet, um, I think, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but Mike had put together a little booklet, Going the Extra Mile. I think that's just a great little booklet on helping our kids to be prepared so they succeed when they're out there in life. But our desire for our sh children should be that every ounce of their st strength would be used at the master's disposal. You're ultimately training them not to just be meek to you, but to be meek to the Lord. Okay, we're not meek if we do not turn at the slightest touch of the reins on our neck. And consequently, we cannot feel the joy of galloping with the wind in our mane. Okay, and having the master, you know, rub our head and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And uh, it, it, when we're resisting him, we have misery. We don't have this happiness because God is in the business of making meek, tamed, useful Christians. Okay, when you don't cooperate, he inflicts more discipline. When you're meek or when you're not meek, you cannot experience that joy. Listen to Psalm 32 which describes the meekness that we're called to with the metaphor of an untrained horse. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Now he's saying that is definitely not meekness. When you've got to drag this horse around with bit and bridle, he's saying they still need some training. Their heart's not in it. The previous verse describes what real meekness is. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Now, there's a horse that doesn't even need the reins. He just sees the master's eye. He goes where the master goes, just a slight nudge from the, the knee. And off that horse goes in the right direction. His, the master's desire becomes his desire. 
And that's what we want in our children. Get them to anticipate the desires of those who are in authority over them. And this is why meekness is said to be such a desirable trait in Scripture. Let me give you some of the, the different aspects of this happiness that the Scripture calls, uh, speaks about. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek, well-disciplined children are the happiest children. You have wild children that have never been disciplined, never been trained. They mope. They're, they're, they're so unhappy. It does bring happiness. Psalm 22, 9 says, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. So we're talking about not just an outward fake happiness. We're talking about an inner happiness, a real satisfaction. Uh, It says in Psalm 25, verse 9, the meek will he guide in judgment. Now, why would he only guide the meek in judgment? Well, think of it this way. If you're the master, you're only going to take your most trusted horse on important missions. Why? Because you can trust that horse to do exactly what he needs to be doing, right? So he's going to guide you. He's going to take you into all kinds of neat places when you've learned meekness. Uh, Psalm 149, 4. He will beautify the meek with victory. Now, that's a cool promise. Psalm 37, 11. The meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. So if you want to be happy in kingdom living, you've got to obey Zephaniah's uh, command Seek righteousness, seek meekness. So we've looked at the three parts uh, of this beatitude, the definition of meekness. We've looked at inheriting the kingdom. We've looked at this happiness. Now I want to have you flip forward to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at Christ's exposition of this beatitude. And um, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I think it'll help you to see some of the obstacles to truly being meek. And you might be surprised by a couple of these. Look at verse 33. I think this beatitude is wonderfully summarized in this verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is being meek. You're single-eyed for your master. You're seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. That's inheriting the earth. But there are all kinds of things that constantly short-circuit are inheriting the earth. And the first two issues that he deals with are goal and treasure. Let's begin reading at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, just imagine yourself riding into the battle with a horse that constantly wants to turn around and go home like my horse did. Well, that wouldn't be too cool, would it? He wants to go home to eat his oats. His oats are his treasure. His treasure is not in me, the rider, and and hearing my well done, thou good and faithful horse. See, if he desired to please me, I would desire to please him when he got home. But because his treasure is in his oats... I've got to take those oats away for a while until he learns meekness. That's part of the process. God many times will remove things from our lives. Why? He wants us to have him as our chief treasure, him as our goal in life. Okay, next section is verses 22 through 23. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So he's likening our physical eye to a lamp. 
Okay, you don't press the analogy too far, but he's saying, okay, when you turn on the lights, you can see. If you're blind in your physical eye, you can't see. So he's likening it to a lamp, and then he says, hey, there's an inward eye within you that is a lamp as well. And there is a tendency for us Christians, we looked at this under Beatitude number two under morning, there's a tendency for us Christians to shut off the lights. Okay, if we want to extinguish this lamp because we don't like what God is showing in our lives because of this lamp, what's going to happen? You're going to stumble in the darkness just like a blind man would. You're not going to take dominion. In fact, you're not going to be happy. So the meek are so single-eyed to the, the master's desires that they are willing to serve the Lord no matter what. Now, I don't know if you've seen pictures of, of uh, uh, on the roads. They used to have these horses. And they'd always have blinders on them. That's, they could only see straight forward. The reason they could only see straight forward is they knew that if they could see to the side, anytime somebody else would come along, these horses would jump, they would shy. They weren't fully trained. They weren't completely meek. A good horse that's been thoroughly trained doesn't need blinders. God is saying the same to us. You can have the full blazing light exposing everything that is all around you. You're still going to be single-eyed for what the master desires. Okay, let's go on to the next section. Look at verse 24. Basically, the, this light one is saying uh, this beatitude is consistent with beatitudes one and two. But verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So meekness can be yielding to God or it can be yielding to man or idols of creation. Now, if you're yielding to idols, automatically you're not yielding to God. You're fighting against God. And so a person who's going back and forth, sometimes he's yielding to God, sometimes he's yielding to idols. He has not been made very meek. Um, the Christian life is about being tamed to serve one master with great joy, just like Tornado and uh, Goliath. Um, uh, horses who were thrilled to be running into the fray and to be serving their, their master. <clears throat> In the description of a meek horse that I uh, read from Job, God says that this meek horse trusts his master's command so much that he isn't frightened by trumpets, he isn't frightened by swords, shouting of the battle, all of the things that are going on around him. Nah, he's just bold, fearless, doing exactly what the master is saying. Now take a look at verses 25 through 32. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Worry will kill meekness. Worry will make you more preoccupied with self-preservation than with pleasing the master. But did Goliath and Tornado, Zorro's horse, 
Did, did they ever have to worry about where their next meal was going to come from? No. They, they trusted their master. Their master loved them. Their master was going to take care of them. They didn't need to worry. Now, if Tornado had worried and bolted or shied every time a danger came along, he would have been a useless horse for Zorro. Worry will kill your ability to be weak. It Destroy worry or it will destroy your happiness. And so verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The tamed are preoccupied with pleasing the Lord. And then the Lord delights in pleasing us, adding all of these things to us, food, clothing, anything you could possibly need, he will add into your life. So verse 33, I think, marvelously sums that up. And I do want you to notice that both verse 33 and the third beatitude have our inheritance in the future. I think that's significant. The inheritance is in the future. Our happiness is not. We're happy. We can be happy even before we have that inheritance. Now, let me distinguish here. It's not the kingdom that is future because Beatitude 1 says the moment we come in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the kingdom and all of its resources. But where is that kingdom? It's in heaven, right? And so if we're going to inherit the earth, what's got to happen? Kingdom of heaven's got to come onto the earth. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for more and more of a manifestation of God's heavenly kingdom in our lives, in our families, and in society. And so the, the inheriting of the earth, even though the inheriting the kingdom, that's instantaneous, we have it. The inheriting of the earth is progressive. And so those who are meek are always future-oriented. They realize they've got to have deferred gratification so that we can advance the kingdom. So I think even that future uh, uh, tense that's used there, very, very, uh, very, very important. And I think it's one of the reasons why the American church is not inheriting the earth. Okay, they're not future oriented. Let's look at one more passage to fill out this um, picture. And I want you to turn with me to Psalm 37. This is the psalm that uh, this beatitude is quoted from. We cannot possibly deal with this whole psalm. I'm not going to I'm just going to barely get you into the psalm. But I want you to at least see how this psalm that deals with what meekness is all about is a marvelous exposition as well. Let's begin reading at verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. Now, what is fretting? Fretting's being upset over something we don't have, right? What is envy? Envy is feeling badly about something we don't have. Okay, there are different expressions, negative emotions that are in us or feelings and uh, desires. But what is common to both of them is that they lack patience for God's timing for our inheritance. Okay, God can give us things. But when we envy, we're lacking the patience for God's timing to be giving those things to us. You might be a young colt that's being trained by the Lord and the training seems to take so long and you look with envy at all of those colts that are out there running carefree in the in the meadows and exploring in the in the woods and you're thinking, boy, I wish I could be like that colt. See, you're fretting, you've got envy, you're desiring something that uh, God is not giving you and it's not always fun uh, to be doing the right thing. But patience and training leads 
the meek to be a meek Olympian skater. Okay? Patience. If you let your children get away with impatience, you are undermining the foundations of meekness in their lives. Do not put up with impatience in your children's lives. But the same patience leads to an outlook on life. This is point number two there that gives confidence. I'm just going to kind of summarize uh, some of these uh, some of these major um, uh, ways of, uh, of developing this. Patience looks to an outlook on life that gives confidence that others do not have. We want our children to be confident. We don't want them to be insecure. When we're developing meekness, if we're developing it in a way that makes them insecure, it's going to be a problem. So let's look at just a number of expressions of this confidence. Verse 2, speaking of the powerful wicked, it says, For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. You're confident, first of all, that the way of the wicked is not going to turn out well, okay? You're not even tempted to run wild. You know what happens to wild animals. They get eaten, right, uh, out there. But if the church stays meek, it will have the victory, okay? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. He's saying when the going gets tough, do not forsake your calling. Take your dominion mandate seriously. Dwell in the land. If you're a horse... Trust him. Trust your rider that the safest place to be is in the center of his will. The safest place to be is with him riding on you. Okay? You can be confident of his guidance. Verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. When our hearts are in tune with God, God will use us mightily. He will answer our prayers. You'll have confidence in God, and the closer you get to God through the training, the more confidence will build. The third key to meekness is yieldedness. Uh, Verses 5 through 6 teach us that yieldedness brings happiness. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So he's talking about personal righteousness. He's talking about social justice that will be accomplished as part of inheriting the earth, and it comes through yielding ourselves to God. And of course, the psalm speaks of the happiness of the meek. And I've listed a couple of verses there. You could see this all the way through the psalm. I'm just going to pick out a few phrases and uh, read them to you. Delight, desires of your heart, delight yourselves in the abundance of peace, satisfied, blessed, delights, and blessed. Now, the context in which he talks about that happiness, I think, is so instructive because this whole psalm is talking about persecution, opposition from the wicked. You know, and uh, how in the world can you speak of happiness in that kind of a situation? And uh, yet he says you can have that happiness despite the fact that they appear to be winning at this stage. He says the meek, not just any Christian, but the meek will inherit the earth. He repeats that six times in this psalm. He says, stay meek, stay meek, stay the course. You, You will get it if you hang in there. I think by now, every one of us is convinced it's worthwhile uh, to, to be meek. I want to go to the Olympics, okay? I want to be a well-trained horse. I want to be a horse that the Lord delights to, to use, to ride. And here's the problem. We know our hearts, and we know that's not the natural state of our hearts. And so here's the question. How do we cultivate meekness? How do we do it? Well, we go back to beatitude number one and recognize I don't have it. I've got to claim it from God by grace. And so every day we go, Lord, here's my heart again. 
It does not have meekness. For this day, I claim meekness in my relations with other people. And then we mourn over the fact that we have not been meek and we say, Lord, I repent of that. I put that off. But I claim your forgiveness and I claim renewed meekness. Now, in this psalm, there's several other uh, things, but I'm just going to summarize them under four points very, very quickly. How do we cultivate this? Well, first of all, there's a put off. Secondly, there's a put on. He tells us you've got to put off all negative attitudes. They will kill meekness. They'll kill your being focused on serving the Lord. Verse 1 one warns us about fretting over the wicked, being envious of them. Verse 8 says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. I think of the horses that were trained uh, you know, for, for battle. If they went running every time a sword got near, man, you couldn't engage any of the enemy. It'd be very difficult. And if they start bucking every time a fly bites them, boy, that would be frustrating uh, to, to the rider. The horse that's trained is going to leave the judgment to the rider of when to stop, when to run, when to charge into the battle, and when to flee. It just says, I trust my, my master. He knows what is best. And we're to do the same. We can put off anger because we know god is in control we can put off fear because we know god is in control we can put off bitterness because we know romans 8 28 is true so there's put offs then there's a bunch of put ons we got to replace it with something positive attitudes of trust and rest and looking to the future relaxing in god's sovereignty delighting in his will verse 3 for example says you got to trust do good stay put when everybody else is feeding fleeing and feed on his faithfulness. So he's talking about personal devotions. You've got to learn how to feed on the Lord. Feed deeply on him. Verse 4 says, We need to learn how to delight yourself also in the Lord. See, Goliath didn't just delight in uh, you know, being taken care of in the stable. He delighted in running with the master. And being with the master. Verse 7, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Verse 23, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. And if we had time, we could go through the psalm and look at other positive attitudes. So we put off the negative attitudes. We put on the positive attitudes, but we've got to do it by grace and not by the law. And I think this is especially important when we're trying to put meekness into our children. Let me try to illustrate two ways that you can tame an animal. My dad was a bronco buster up in Alberta, and he was hired out by all kinds of farmers to... Uh, train these these animals that were kind of wild to be in harness. And he never broke their spirit when he did the training. Now, he said he saw others who used a different method of training, and they would break the animal's spirit through starving the animal, through beating the animal, through cruelty to the animal. And he said, yeah, by the time they were finished, that animal would do whatever you wanted it to do, but it was listless. It had no initiative, had no spunk had no life. Its life was just an existence, and that does not glorify God. That's not what God has called us to. God is looking for the heart, not merely outward conformity. Now, obviously, outward conformity is essential, okay? There's going to be outward conformity when you're training your children to be meek, but that's not enough, and there is no gospel meekness unless the heart is reached. So, do you want gospel meekness for your kids? One of the books I recommend you read is Shepherding a child's heart. Now, I think it could add in there some of the outward disciplines 
Uh, you know, there's a lot of disciplines that are out there, but we do need to reach the hearts. And when that tamed heart of meekness motivates us to pour every ounce of strength into following God's will, then our lives have uh, the kind of ultimate fulfillment that God intended them to have. It's not the wild animal that takes dominion. It's the harnessed animal that takes dominion. Okay? Nor is it the broken spirit that is the best racehorse. It's the meek, well-trained horse that is the best racehorse. And so we can beat ourselves up with the law or we can beat our children with the law, but that's not going to produce a gospel meekness. You've got to bring those two together, law and gospel. And what the gospel is doing is saying, we look at the law through Christ, through the... Uh, the, the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Meekness is a delightful relationship with God. So it involves law, but it's the law seen through the gospel. And uh, that way, if you do it that way, the, the meekness is not going to just be a meekness to you as God's representative, which is appropriate, but it's also going to be a meekness to the God you represent. That's the ultimate goal of all of your training of your children. So we've... Got to put off, got to put on, we do it through the gospel. And then fourth, we need to cultivate meekness by casting vision. Uh, Olympic athletes are driven by vision. And we got to have vision for our, that we're casting for our kids. Why do we want to be meek? Uh, here it says, so that we'll inherit the earth. That's the vision. And that's a great vision. If you have no intention and no desire in fulfilling the dominion mandate then uh, you're not going to have the kind of meekness that Christ has called you to. You need to know what is my place in the dominion mandate. It may be in helping other people in certain things, but we need to know where our place uh, is at. Sixteen times this psalm promises an inheritance of tangible parts of this earth if we will only be meek. And I think it's a goal far more worthwhile than Olympian athletes seek, even though I think it could include Olympics. It's, it's way broader, way bigger than that. Let me just read you a smattering of these goals that God holds out to the meek in Psalm 37. I'm not going to read all of the references. I'm just going to read the phrases. And I'm going to begin in verse 3. Feed on his faithfulness. He shall give you the desires of your heart. He shall bring it to pass. Inherit the earth. Inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Their inheritance shall be forever. And so it's not just on earth, it's for eternity. In the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. So it's things on earth as well that we're inheriting. Uh, inherit the earth. I have not seen his descendants begging bread. Uh, his descendants are blessed, dwell forevermore. They are preserved forever. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Inherit the land. The future of that man is peace. So you can see God wants us to have a vision that's much bigger than I got to survive this next week. Right? He wants us to have a glorious vision like Caleb did that says, Lord, here's another challenge that's bigger than I think I can bear. But by your grace, I want this mountain. I want you to expand my borders. I want this inheritance. See, if you have that kind of an attitude, you can pray the prayer of Jabez without it being a humanistic prayer. It will be a God-glorifying prayer. Now, let me end with 10 quick admonitions related to your meekness and your happiness and your dominion inheritance. 
First, be teachable, but not unreachable. Meek people do not pretend to know everything. They don't resist change. They're not know-it-alls. In Matthew 11, verse 28, we read that verse earlier concerning Christ's meekness and our being trained into meekness. By putting the yoke on, he says, learn of me, learn of me. We need to search our hearts every day to make sure that we've got teachable spirits and we've got to make sure that our children have teachable spirits. Uh, Luke 6, verse 40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. This is the wonderful thing about learning gospel meekness. We're going to become more and more like our master, right? He was the meekest man upon the earth. Second admonition, be gentle, not unpredictable. I had a horse that, uh, wow, he was a rascal. I don't miss him. (laughs) But uh, he would... He would be so unpredictable, sometimes just suddenly throwing his head up just right when your face is close by. And one time I got a bloody nose, another time a big bruise, but very, very unpredictable. We had a couple of horses in, um, in uh, our boarding school. You know, one of them was Prince and the other was Tinker. We called Tinker Stinker because he was such a mess. And um, when you would ride, he would, he would gallop. Uh, he would gallop like crazy, but he'd gallop you right under a low-hanging branch and try to knock you off or gallop you right next to a tree, try to crush your leg. He was a miserable beast. And my own horse initially was miserable till I trained him by slapping him over the snout with a rope, uh, the rope halter, because he'd run at you to bite you. And after a while, he learned, you know, you don't do that. But Horses that act like that are not useful, if you're, we're talking metaphorical horses here, are not useful to either God or to man, okay? We've got to be gentle, not unpredictable and ornery. And sometimes with our children, it may take weeks of daily boot camp to teach our children these principles, but do not be satisfied till God has reached their hearts and made them gentle. Third, be an actor, not a reactor. I think too many people react to the sin that's around them. And they react by getting angry and bitter and frustrated. And Psalm 37 says, it's not going to do you any good. It only causes harm. And Matthew 6 says exactly the same thing. Uh, what we need to do instead is to overcome evil with good. So when somebody else flies off the handle, handle it with meekness, power under control. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is not easily provoked. You don't ignore evil, but neither do you respond in it in the same way. Fourth, be understanding, not demanding. When you are dealing with other people who are not meek, it's so hard, so hard to be understanding. Here's what Philippians 2 says. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Fifth, become tender without surrender. You can't please everyone. But if being meek is submission to the Father's will and you're supposed to please him, it guarantees there's going to be times where you're going to be in conflict with other people if you are meek. But If you approach those stubborn people with gentleness and tenderness, what you are doing is you are modeling meekness to them and you're going to be part of God's process of training them to be meek as well. 
Meek people have learned the lesson of Proverbs 15.1, which says that a gentle answer turns away wrath. See, if you trust God, it frees you up to be gentle. You don't have to force people. Okay, meekness is learning how to disagree agreeably. So there's a balance that even some of us fathers need to, to learn here. Tenderness with, without, um, you know, caving in on biblical principles. You know, it doesn't mean that you just go along with whatever your kids or your family wants you to do. What it means is you're tender toward God. I mean, you're, you're, you're submissive and yielding toward God. And then God says, be tender to your wife, nurture your wife, be gentle with your wife. You care for her. So you can be tender without surrender on biblical issues. Six, be humble, not a doormat. Humility is absence of pride, is a willingness to submit to God's will. But if you're riding into the battlefield to resist evil and compromise, you're not going to be a doormat. God blesses the meek, but he says, I'm calling the meek into battle. Seventh, be forbearing, but not uncaring. I think every one of these things is really hard to achieve. You cannot achieve it apart from meekness, and meekness has got to come from Christ. You just will not do it apart from grace. Some people are so forbearing that they put up with all kinds of compromise, and they become apathetic about sin. That is not meekness. Jesus was meek, but he confronted sin. Now, it's true. We have to pick our battles. Even Jesus picked his battles. It's true that um, we need to trust God's grace that's taming other people and say, I'm just going to be patient with them. God's not finished with them yet. We've already seen that. Love covers a multitude of sins. But we can embrace brothers and sisters in Christ without being uncaring about how important the sin issues are. Okay? Uh, some churches, they, they say the only way we can fulfill this is if we just don't talk over these hundred issues. You're not allowed to bring it up. You can't. And that's what I like about this church. We embrace each other. We're committed to each other. We love each other even where there are disagreements. Doesn't mean you have to give up principle, but we've learned to be forbearing. So be forbearing, but not uncaring, not apathetic. Eighth, be yielding, not selfish. This yieldedness must be first and foremost to God and only then manifested to others because if our yieldedness is first and foremost to others, we'll get ourselves in trouble. For example, some salesmen are schmoozy and, uh, boy, they're yielding to everything just so they can get a sale, right? And there are people who are yielding within the family just so they can have peace, okay? There are people who yield on principle just to get ahead in the business, or who yield on the Sabbath just so that they can have a profit. That is all selfish yieldedness. But when we're yielded to God, it is crucifying selfishness. Can you see the difference there? Yieldedness to God results in wonderful relationships with man. Ninth, be gracious, not a jerk. Graciousness is uh, really one of the ways you can translate this, this, this word, but it's strong Deliberate graciousness toward those who do not deserve it. Now, if you respond to a jerk by acting like a jerk, you're not going to have the happiness. You're not going to have the influence. You're not going to inherit. It takes grace to respond to a jerk with strong, gracious firmness. You can still say no without yelling. <laughs> Back it up, you know, with your kids. Some people feel the only way they can say no and the kids are going to listen is if they're yelling, you know, they're, they're loud or something. No, just firmly say, okay, I've told you before, whack, whack, whack. Next time it's going to be four whacks, you know. 
uh, what you're doing is you're, you're being gracious and yet you're being firm. You're not being a jerk. And then finally, be tamed, not feisty. If your whole goal in life is to please the master, then the master is going to make you happy, fulfilled, give you all the kingdom assets you need. Psalm 37 says, In the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. Some of you are worried about the future. It's okay to plan about bad economic times and to prepare for bad economic times. I think we all need to do that, but we should not worry about the future. He says, In the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Now, this psalm does talk about feisty people who shove others around to get their way, and yet he says their way will perish. And six times he promises the meek shall inherit the earth. So here's my admonition. May God give to you more and more happiness, more and more inheritance as you seek to have more and more meekness before his throne. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the admonitions of your word. Thank you for your patience with us. We want to be meek. We want to quickly learn what it means to be a tamed stallion or mare uh, or colt. And I pray, Father, that you would give us hearts that are meek toward you and filled with the happiness that this beatitude promises where we can inherit the earth. You can trust us with a greater and greater stewardship. We bless you, Father, for the privilege that we have of being your servants. And we yield ourselves to you. In Christ's name, amen.